Listening to This Week in Accountable Care on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks, sponsored by National ACO, one of 44 select participants certified by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation as a next generation ACO model. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and moderator of this series, known to some on Twitter as At2HealthGuru and the publisher of ACOWatch.com. I am joined in the virtual studio today by National ACO co-founders and series co-hosts, Dr. Andre Berger and Dr. Alex Foxman. National ACO is experiencing strong growth, was nation-leading in its first performance year, and has since logged five years of successful operations. The company is leading innovation in alternative payment models as we journey from a volume to value healthcare economy. For those of you interested in the next generation ACO model, as well as the accountable care industry writ large, this series has been designed for you. Our mission is to educate and inform one another by engaging best in class operators, thought leaders, and innovators in an evolving and dynamic industry. Now, I'll preview the bios of our principal co-hosts of This Week in Accountable Care. Dr. Andre Berger is the Chief Executive Officer of National ACO, a primary care physician-owned and governed next-generation ACO located in Beverly Hills, California. With contracted primary care physician practices and attributed Medicare beneficiaries in multiple states. A natural leader, Dr. Berger is a renowned physician practicing in Beverly Hills and Los Angeles since 1978. Dr. Berger, a prolific writer and researcher, brings a comprehensive knowledge of managed care plans and an inherent desire to enable patient-centered care while fulfilling the triple aim. Dr. Alex Foxman is President and Chief Medical Officer of National ACO. Dr. Foxman has been practicing internal medicine and preventive care since 2003. Over the span of 14 years, he has started several successful and innovative medical practice models, including Mobile Physician Associates, a complete mobile group medical practice serving the needs of the homebound, frail elderly and disabled populations of Southern California. This practice model has shown a significant improvement in the quality of patient care with double-digit reductions in overall medical costs. And now for today's special guest. Hal Sadoe, Ph.D., is president and CEO of Premier Healthcare Advisors, a specialized healthcare consultancy. He has extensive leadership experience as CEO for a number of diverse healthcare enterprises, including physician organizations, Medicare, Medicaid, and commercial health plans, a major revenue cycle management company, a publicly traded disease management company, and a full-service healthcare marketing company. For many years, he served as the national IPA expert for Dorland. He was a hospital executive in Phoenix and California and frequent speaker for the American Hospital Association. He was an executive with IBM after working at Baxter International as head of implementation for their disease management company, RMS. He also worked for Yale University as a member of the DRG Workgroup, and that goes back a ways, 
and the Connecticut Medical Society as field director of research. Dr. Sadoway has two MS degrees, one in public administration and city planning, the other in research and statistics. He earned his PhD from the University of Connecticut with special expertise in healthcare management, health economics, and health law. He is the author of over 200 papers published in professional and peer-reviewed journals. He is a frequent speaker at national conferences, as well as a facilitator for board retreats. And with that introduction out of the way, Drs. Berger and Foxman, over to you. Help us get to know Hal. Well, wow. I'm sure you're totally out of breath now, Greg, after introducing Hal, because he's got such an amazing and extensive degree of uh, education, experience, and, you know, he's really uh, so delighted to have him uh, with us. Uh, he uh, He's a unique individual. I, I could say I've had the experience of working with Hal very closely over the last uh, couple of years, and it's been uh, a true privilege, um, not just because he's a great guy, but also because of the wealth of knowledge and experience and, that he brings. And so I think it's a great opportunity to tap some of that and share that with uh, our audience. And so before we get on to um, a list of, you know, incredibly long list of questions, uh, I have for Hal. Um, I would like uh, perhaps to give uh, Dr. Foxman the chance to uh, also introduce him, and then I have my list. I'm sure Alex has his list um, for Hal. So Hal, uh, you know, hold on to your chair because we've got a lot of questions for you. So uh, I'll have to echo uh, Dr. Berger's uh, sentiment that you have a great amount of uh, experience uh, in the healthcare uh, environment. And, and my first question really is regarding how you feel this current time in healthcare is different than other times. We know that we go through cyclical times in healthcare, things come and go, but, but this seems to be a different type of uh, a time in, in our healthcare environment. So I want to get your experience and, and your thoughts on that. Sure. Uh, first of all, it's nice to be here. Uh, thanks for inviting me. And uh, I hope I can answer some of your questions and, uh, and uh, that resume makes me feel really old. But any, anyway, uh, to answer your question, I think that what differentiates uh, today from the past is that we've seen just an increasing uh, escalation in costs. At one time uh, in the 1970s, we had a crisis in healthcare costs, and people thought the healthcare uh, couldn't escalate any any more than it, it has, and now it's nearly double what it was at that time. So we've got to come with some realistic solutions to the problems that have to deal with all of the stakeholders. And as you know, uh, being a physician, physicians are a primary stakeholder as well as the patient. And we have to look at things that are less costly, less intensive, less institutional. And so that's a, a major challenge given that a lot of the investments in the healthcare system has been in the institutions, primarily hospitals and also uh, large clinics and things of that nature and specialty care. Not that any of that's bad stuff. It's actually, you know, very good. But the bottom line is uh, with the challenges we face, we've got to start moving things more into the uh, primary care domain. And um, so I think that's the major thing. I think there's a, a recognition again, once again, which there was in the 70s, 
that uh, this the champions and the captains of the system need to be the primary care physicians. So I think that's a, a short kind of a short answer. I hope uh, answers your question. How now? I know you you have seen um, you know a lot of this over the years, um, and you you've experienced, shall we say, uh, the the kind of old traditional fee-for-service world when then the birth and the you know development of the you know early days of managed care um, you know all the way from um, you know very basic managed care uh, such as P, uh, per member per month kind of pay- payments to physicians to full capitation uh, and risk contracting in, in California and now uh, we've come to this stage here where the market is shifting not only from the philosophical um, you know kind of idea that you articulated but also in terms of uh, the shift to the idea of risk that that in, and certainly in Medicare there seems to be this this you know real very specific, very directed, um, and very focused plan or program regime to move primary care physicians and others into assuming more and more risk for the cost of care and the quality of the care and also the satisfaction uh, for the patients for which this care is rendered. I would like you to walk us through kind of how you see the evolution of this, where you believe it is uh, going in the next, you know, couple three years, and what do you see as the opportunities and the barriers um, that we're facing as this, uh, you know, fundamental direction is uh, is occurring? Okay, sure. Uh, one of the interesting things now, you might have read uh, some recent uh, reports and surveys, is that uh, primary care physicians are becoming increasingly comfortable with with the idea of assuming fin- financial risk in exchange for a larger incentive payments. Now, that wasn't true even a couple of years ago. So um, the fact that we have 44 uh, next-generation uh, ACOs in the picture is another example of of the fact that you've got more and more physicians saying, okay, I'm willing to take uh, take a shot at this and, and maybe it's something that'll be beneficial to my patients and myself and the healthcare system as a whole. So I think um, in terms of where we're going, that's, that's uh, you know, the uh, million dollar, six million dollar, million dollar question. What, what we have here is you've got two tracks you could possibly go down. One is you've got the, uh, the Paul Ryan better way kind of... Uh, methodology that's looking towards the market, being able to correct the situation and, and, you know, basically putting all the functions in the traditional market and having that market being financial responsibility uh, uh, with the beneficiaries uh, looking at most of the uh, heavy lifting in terms of uh, higher premiums and things of that nature and cost sharing and things to keep them out of the doctor's office. On the other hand, uh, the, uh, the road we're on right now, and hope, hopefully will continue, 
to accelerate is the value-based purchasing model where we're looking at um, basically the physicians taking the leadership role and also with the help of the government in moving us towards a more balanced system of healthcare. Again, looking at quality and cost and outcomes and all the necessary aspects of it, which is a very complicated system, as you know. So um, we could go on either of those tracks or somewhere in between. And as you know, uh, Tom Price has been pretty much uh, not in favor of bundled payments and some of these other incentive type things. So depending on how hard he pushes for some kind of a, uh, you know, a system change, it's going to be interesting to see. On the other hand, what, what we know is that the MACRA has been passed and the MACRA um, has been a bipartisan uh, effort. And so that bodes well for value-based care. Representatives of the House, I believe, voted something like 392 to something about 90 or 92 in favor, and only uh, there was only about eight defectors in the Senate. So uh, what's pushing value-based care right now is, is the macro legislation. And if that continues, I think that's probably the way we're going to go. We know that private physicians in, in the United States have been slowly shrinking and dwindling for many, many years. And National ACO is a physician-owned and operated physician-centric ACO is trying to reverse that. Can you give some of your guidance and experience of why you believe the current healthcare system will help reverse the uh, trajectory of our community-based and independent physicians from shrinking? Well, I know for a fact, because I used to be with a number of hospitals that uh, purchased physicians, uh, again, in, in, the, uh, in the ancient times. But... Uh, Physicians don't like to be owned by hospitals. They don't like to be owned by uh, third party of any sort. And so if they have the opportunity to be successful as a independent practice, that's what they'll choose every time. And so things uh, like the ACOs and the next gen specifically and things that uh, National ACO is doing is, is right, you know, right up the alley for physicians and trying to keep them engaged in uh, independent practice in, an, in a way that's profitable, that makes, you know, allows them to make a living, and also that allows them to provide the kind of care they want to provide, standardized care, um, and moves them into learning experience of population-based medicine and things of that nature that's going to be necessary in the future regardless of who controls the system. How, if you were a, if you were a, a physician today, and you you had to make a decision whether to or not to participate, join uh, an ACO, what would be the top considerations, and what would be the reasons that you either would or wouldn't join a particular ACO? In your experience. Well, you're talking about a particular ACO or ACOs in general, or well, uh, well, or well, well you know, there's there are choices. Physicians do have choices. The first choice is join or not join. So that's the first thing. The second choice is to, um, you know, among uh, say you want to join among uh, the various possible ACOs that are, you know, potentially courting you to join, how do you make that selection? So these are the two things to, to consider. All right, so from, from that that question, um, well, my own uh, 
inclination would, would be to join. And the reason for that is uh, that I believe in innovation and taking uh, control. And I think that you don't want to become a, uh, a victim of the system. So you need to be in, you know, in front of, of what's taking and taking some control leadership in, in this. I think it's important for me to be involved in positions that I trust who, like myself, are willing to work hard and willing to uh, do the right thing and for the patient and uh, for the country and for their organization. I think that's critical. I think it's important that there's communication, that there's a lot of communication, that uh, physicians are engaged. Without engagement, nothing happens. So you have to make sure, at least from my perspective, that you're with a, a group of physicians that are like-minded and that are, are working towards success. Because one of the things, as you, you fellows know very well, is that if you don't have uh, everybody rowing in the same direction, you're, you're going to get stuck in the water or worse. So I think that, that's, that's the thing. Uh, and it, just if you think about what's happened uh, just over, you know, from 2011, basically when these things started, there was 61 uh, ACOs in, in the program. Now there's 545 that are in the program that are Medicare, and there's almost a thousand that are uh, not only Medicare, but uh, private market as well. So a lot of physicians are recognizing this is something they need to do, and uh, it's important that they do it the right way. Hey, Hal, i got a question for you. Uh, on that uh, risk readiness implicate, implied question that Dr. Foxman posed, what's your sense, because you have been here benchmarking to decades ago, if you will, the first risk, risk push was in the 80s, followed by a risk pushback in the, early, the late 80s to early 90s. And then it was kind of more embracing retail, healthcare, and direct practice, and going back to the roots of fee-for-service medicine. Now we're looking at, through value-based contracting, value-based care, alternative payment models, we're really talking about more risk assumption. So on that continuum of one being unbridled fee-for-service to 10 being full PMPM risk capitation, where would you seed ACOs on that continuum? And what is the readiness of physicians to engage in 2017 versus, shall we say, the mid-80s? Well, if, if you remember the mid-80s, um there, there was a great deal of uh, differentiation in the marketplace. There were some, especially California, there were some groups that took full risk. There were many others that did not. And if you looked across the country, there were many pockets in the country where there was not much risk uh, assumption at all. So I think that it's going to be similar. I think you're going to find this, the same kind of thing. There will be uh, pioneers who are willing to, to get out in front and, uh, and take the risk based on an understanding of their organization and what their organization is able to handle. And there are other groups that are obviously, uh, you know, not there yet. And uh, I think it'd be foolish for some organizations to try to, uh, to take, uh, you know, maximum risk. Now, the other thing that's pretty clear is that uh, CMS is not expecting people to, uh, to look at these alternative payments uh, very quickly. I mean, it, they're looking at it over some period of time, and they're giving a lot of different opportunities for groups to come in at, from different perspectives, and so take a different bite of the apple, so to speak. 
so that uh, I think that there's there's room for everybody in this marketplace. Uh, I think that the pioneers, the ones that are the leaders, are going to end up trying to develop to the best of their ability uh, provider-led plans. And I think the most successful ones would be physician-led plans, although there's a number of hybrids with physicians and hospitals and leadership physicians trying to do this. So. And there are many hospitals across the country. I've worked in a lot of the big markets, and there are many hospitals that are already in the process of developing their uh, their own health plans, at least for pockets of their uh, books of business. Hal, piggybacking off a little bit off of that, um, if you look at, for example, the next-gen ACO cohort, you've got primarily PHOs, physician hospital organizations, integrated delivery systems that are have uh, got one or more uh, significant institutional financial backers and partners and then um, you may have you know a very very small representation of larger management companies um, that are very well capitalized they're you know, are managing ACOs in this space. And then you have very tiny number um, of physician, kind of owned physician-led organizations. Can you, in your mind's eye, having, you know, kind of surveyed the landscape and, and looking at this, can you can you reflect for us a little bit on kind of the advantages and disadvantages of where the participants in the cohort are now and how you foresee this uh, gelling out in terms of the types of organizations that will be uh, successful going forward here. Well, I think, you, you know, you basically uh, hit the nail on the head in terms of finances. I mean, the finances are with the big guys, so they have they have that advantage, but on the other hand, they they don't have uh, the advantage that I think, as you mentioned, the smaller, uh, often smaller, not always smaller groups of physicians have, which is the physicians have, I think, a larger stake in the organization, making sure that this is part of their own survival, that this is part of them uh, becoming uh, basically in charge of, of the healthcare system, again, being the captains of the healthcare system. And I think that's incredibly important for physicians. Uh, hospitals, on the other hand, uh, you know, are, are certainly, um, certainly have the wherewithal to try to get some physicians and leadership positions. But again, it, it's, it's a different kind of model, and it's not a model where the physicians feel that they are really in ownership stake. So I think the, the difficulty, as you, you know, as you mentioned, is that all these things are, uh, are income revenue intensive and, uh, and they, they do need to be, uh, you need to find monies to make things happen and uh, they just don't happen on, by themselves. So there is an advantage that, that, that the large groups have. So that, have that you seen, a, uh, how, okay. just in follow up to that, have you seen or have you got the, the just from your answer have you got the feeling that in in some cases um some of these institutional uh, uh led and financed acos are operating this as a form of a loss leader 
Well, absolutely. The hospitals want to be in the game because hospitals need to be in the game because they see themselves as the leader of the healthcare system. And so there's no question about that. The majority of them in it, whether their hearts are in it or not, it's a different story completely. And you, you can see a lot of them have not been successful. So that's, that's another indicator that there may not be that much intensity at this point in time, at least. And uh, they're hedging their bets. I mean, and so are physicians. I mean, there are physicians that are hedging their bets as well. But I think physicians have a greater stake in the success of ACOs than hospitals do. And therefore, I think it's important for uh, physicians to find the right ACOs to join up with and participate in them. So going back to physician uh, reimbursement, uh, many times uh, I come across physicians, especially small and medium-sized practices, who, who state, you know, how, how can you tell me you want me to change my practice and move into uh, value-based care? Uh, I don't have the resources, nor do I have the uh, human resources, the technological resources, the financial resources to move forward. And uh, we, we all know that, that as we move forward in this healthcare system led by CMS, um, there are financial opportunities that help us achieve this triple aim of improving patient care, reducing a cost and improving patient satisfaction. So what new kind of uh, financial opportunities do you see on the horizon that are built into these innovative value-based programs that can assist physicians in not only helping care, take care of their patients better, but also bring much needed revenue to their practices? Yeah, I, I think there's going to be a continuous, uh, um, on the part of the innovation system, I think there's going to be continuous movement towards trying to make things easier, less regulation for physicians, and open up uh, more financial uh, benefit to them. In fact, it's you know this is just something that just came out of CMS on, on the quality for MACRA just just came out to do that. So I think that's the future. I mean, to get buy-in from physicians, physicians have to feel that these these organizations and and these modalities are in their interest and in the interest of their patients, or else they're not going to fully get involved and engaged in them. So I think that's important, and you know, as you know from next-gen model, there's been some uh, some opportunities for physicians to make more money in the next-gen, obviously, than they have in previous versions of ACOs. Uh, there's the 80-20 split. There's a number of different programs that they offer that could uh, potentially make uh, physicians some more money. But I don't think physicians are in it just for the money. I think they're in it to to ba- basically put themselves in, in back in charge of the healthcare system for their patients, not only for themselves. Hal, if you were the one who would make you know the decision on when to include a physician practice or physician group in an ACO that's taking risk or not, uh, give me the three criteria, the three top criteria that you would apply to making that decision. Uh, the first thing would be their motive. Why, why do they want to be involved in it? Uh, the second thing would be, uh, are they, are they uh, physicians you can communicate with and do they have the same interest as, uh, as the ACO has and the other physicians in the ACO? And uh, the third thing, are, uh, you know, are they engaged? Uh, will they be compliant? Will they work uh, with their colleagues uh, to uh, coordinate care in a way that you know is best for for the whole system? So I think those would be my. Uh, I think it's all around communication. 
Not so much, um, you know, a lot of people talk about technology, and technology obviously is important, but there's still a lot of issues in the technology. And, uh, you know, until you get to the point where all of the technology is coordinated and it can provide information on all of, uh, you know, everybody that's in the system and people that are outside your particular uh, system, uh, you know, that's not going to be the answer. The answer really is, is people working together. Okay, well, that really is helpful. And my, I guess my next question is... Andre, I hate to bump yes. in here, but we're oh, we're, we're on the wind down. We're not going to be able to get that. Yeah, we're not going to be able to get that last question in. But uh, that will have to get Hal back because we'll have to get Hal back. It's a long story. Lots to talk about and unpack in this complex healthcare ecosystem that we have built. So I want to thank our guest Hal Sadowy, PhD, and for those of you. Uh, who want to look him up, S-A-D-O-W-Y, Hal Sadoway, for his time and insights today. Um, until we meet again on this week in Accountable Care for Doctors Berger and Foxman, this is your moderator, Greg Masters, saying bye now. Now in the-